Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from lead pastor Jamie Miller. Um, Open your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 10, verses 14 through 16. I want to read this just to kick us off, and I'll explain how we got here and why we're doing this. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and so there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is the word of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. So this past, uh, uh, we're in a series right now called We Are the Church, and um, again, the, the heart behind that, the reason why we're doing this is to just kind of in this time of <laughs> like this, in this time where we're just, things are discombobulated a bit, and we, so we just felt like, hey, let's draw back into our values, who we are, the core values of loving God, loving one another, love those who don't know, discipleship making, people, house to house, all of these different things that are just core values for us. But also, as I've been saying the last couple of weeks, we're in a liminal space. We've left something, we're in a liminal space, and we're moving to something new. And so it's important that we have an expectation that God is going to lead us into that space by the Holy Spirit. And a lot of these messages next few weeks will be coming from Acts, and some of them have been in Acts already, but uh, because you see the church being led into new places, but I, I felt like we had a specific word for this week. Uh, we were waiting, and we, and not only do we have a specific word, but we need the leadership of the Lord right now. I mean, we need the leadership of the Lord, and so we were waiting on the Lord this past Monday night. The elders were together, and and uh, felt like we heard the word, respond to the Holy Spirit. Don't react to everything that's going on around you. Respond to the Holy Spirit. Like, live out of a place of response and not just reaction. And it's, that's, it's, very, it's, a, it's a peace-bringing word if we can walk in it. Um, then the next day, on Tuesday, um, uh, on, on Tuesday, uh, and I'll just, I want to go ahead and invite anybody that feels comfortable to say something back to me, because it's just, this is all, we could all, actually, we could almost circle up, you know, <laughs> do, do a little small group Bible study or something. And uh, uh, <laughs> there we go, come on. And uh, so the next day, on Tuesday, I was like, Jesus, what would you say if you were standing up here in front of the people? And I just quickly felt, you know, and I wasn't prompted by having read this passage, but I just felt like the Lord said, I'm the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. Just real clear. And, and it's not like it's a shaky limb kind of word, right? I mean, it's really, it's right there. I am the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice, but applying it in this moment. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He speaks to us in a way that applies life and experiences and the word of God and scripture and the words that are coming from brothers and sisters into a moment. And I think that's the moment that we're in. We need this word to listen to the Lord right now. This, and here's the pastoral moment, is that, that we can go crazy and run around or we can make the connection that God wants us to grow by listening to Him. 
Jesus by listening to him and responding to him and doing that in faith. After the first service, I had somebody say, I just don't, I don't know that I always hear the voice of the Lord. And I want to just encourage you guys, do it by faith. You know, and sometimes, you know, we're taking a step of faith. We think, oh, Lord, call that person or text that person or just to tell them you love them and you're praying for them. And, you know, there's not a big downside usually on things the Lord's leading you to do. It's not a big like, oh, man, they, that wasn't God. You know, usually you'll, you'll get a sense of, hey, that's something the Lord's saying. And that's part of how we learn to hear the voice of God is that we, we, we walk by faith in that and we experience the good fruit of taking steps of faith uh, in, in response to what we think the Lord is, is leading us to do. And it helps to have people you're walking with, especially on bigger decisions and stuff, things that, that um, you know, like that. So, so that's, that's a big piece. We need the leadership of the Lord in this time. And I did a little video this past week that went out to the church and, and uh, mentioned I'd, I'd been talking to Gus Hunter down in Waco last Monday and we, we got to talking about this pastor from, I, I don't even know if he's still alive. It's, I think it was many years ago. He's in his 80s. His name's David Torrance. And uh, he, he was talking about how he was always joyful. Just one week of joy after another, after another, after another. He just walked in the joy of the Lord. And, uh, and he's this pastor. And I was like, wow, what a... It's really encouraging to me. Like, there's somebody <laughs> just walking in joy week after week after week. And uh, I have a high value for that. But, you know, life is hard, too. And there's times where it's not always up and to the right, right? Um, but uh, he said, so he says, so how did you do that? What would you do when there were church conflicts? Or what, how did you walk that out? And the guy said, well, whenever we had a conflict of any kind, we, I would always instruct the people to go get time with Jesus and ask what Jesus is speaking to them personally and then bring what he's speaking to them personally back to the group. And that would have a way of bringing unity to us as the church. And our tendency, you know, maybe we well, I want to go get, a, get away with the Lord and get a word for you. <laughs> stuff you need to do. But it's stuff that we need to do that, that brings encouragement and humility to us and a servant heart into the into the midst and love so this word i'm going to keep saying it i am the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice i'm the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice i'll read that down there a little bit further john 10 27 and 28 my sheep hear my voice i know them and they follow me i give them eternal life and they will never perish no one will snatch them out of my hand Man, that's encouraging. We are the sheep. Now, this is this isn't uh, uh, this is a little less encouraging that we are sheep. <laughs> I just want to say we are sheep, <laughs> and sheep have a lot of interesting characteristics about them. Um, Kim said we got to talking about this and around that. She goes, "Isn't there that old book somewhere around? We found it on my shelf. Uh, a shepherd. Somebody gave this to us years ago." It was written in 1970, a shepherd looks at Psalm 23, and it's this written through the eyes of an actual shepherd who looks at Psalm 23. We're not looking at Psalm 23, but it has some great stuff about sheep. You know, sheep, um, you know, they, they, they have a herd mentality. They, they're in there together, and somebody, there's a, a disturbance over here, and, and they kind of moved, and then like somebody, and they, and they, they, they kind of move together, and they, they, they have a joint communal anxiety kind of together. 
just fear, you know, and they could get eaten. I mean, there's lots of stuff for them to fear. <laughs> they could starve to death. They could not find water. I mean, there's, there's stuff. And so they're just, uh, you know, they're kind of an anxious lot. Sheep are. And that's one of the points he was making. They, they will walk the same paths. They're creatures of habit. They will walk the same paths, creating a path, creating a rut, creating a gully even, just by doing the same thing over and over. They'll eat the food until it's gone, eat the roots of the grass till it's gone. They'll stay in that spot and do in bathroom and all that stuff and make it nasty and then keep drinking the water after it's nasty and then they get in uh, parasites and stuff unless they're led into another place. They have to be led. They, don't, they can't do that on their own. They, they'll just keep doing the same habit over and over again. Another one that he was... Uh, talking about that I thought was good was uh, one of his favorite things to do as a shepherd was find the cast sheep. And a cast sheep, that's new info for me, I didn't know this, but a cast sheep is one that is, maybe it sat down and was eating some food or you know whatever, but sat down and kind of rolled on its side maybe, but then got its weight, lifted it back, and its wool, and its fat, and you know, it's sitting, and it's, a cast sheep is one that can't get back up. And it will stay you know, I just imagine my other two legs going, but it will stay, it will stay doing this until, you know, it, it'll die. And so one of his favorite things to do was come and help the sheep get back up on its feet. And again, I mean, you don't have to go real far to get a deep metaphor out of a bunch of people, you know, I got fat and got wool on me and got some distractions and things and I'm just stuck, you know, and I need Jesus to come and to come and help me. Um, another one he mentioned right toward the end of the book was that sheep like to rub their heads together. You know, and it, it's partly they have this terrible problem with flies, but they'll even scratch their, their heads and stuff, and they'll get wounds, and they might even get a disease in there, but then they still come and they like rubbing their heads. They'll rub their heads on each other, and they'll literally pass the disease from one animal to the other animal through the open wounds on their heads. And the point Keller goes on to make was that uh, we do that. We, we rub heads with people that don't have the mind of Christ, and it can get some funky thinking in our heads. And so we want to be people that have the mind of Christ. Let me just keep working this, this, this just a bit here, because there's a few different angles in the time that we're living in right now that we need to, to mention. And I've got a few different levels of thinking about this. And one is just the brain level. The brain level, our thinking, our emotions. It, it's, there's a lot of factors that are at work when, because we are a system, our family is a system, our church, is, our life groups, are, each, each one is a little system. The church is a system. The, the city is a system. You know, and when anxiety, if you start throwing anxiety into the, the mix, it can really affect us. And if we get really anxious, you know, like I see a snake, ah, get away from it. That's a good kind of fear and flight. But anxiety, just when it's just on us, it's like, it's going to be bad. And I'm not even sure what all it's going to be bad about, but it's just, it's out there. It's looming. It's coming. You know, and when we start thinking like that, it, 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 makes, us, it makes it harder to breathe. Our amygdala gets, gets working. That's the part of our brain that is fight or flight. And so you want to 
you want to take somebody on in anger or you want to just get, you know, out of dodge and, and run. You want to escape. And so that's what's happening when the amygdala is fired. And, but God actually made us, the difference between us and animals is one of the things we got a neocortex and we can think deep thoughts and imagine situations that aren't where we're at now, but are something broader and better and a better future. And so a great illustration that I, I got out of this, so I'm reading, just finished this one as well this week, it's uh, called Uproar, Calm Leadership in Anxious Times. Can you imagine why I would be reading this book <laughs> right now? The guy, Peter Steinke, I've read, this is probably the fifth or sixth book I've read from him, and uh, for 25 plus years, maybe 30 now, he has helped churches and organizations, businesses, cities that are experiencing intense conflict. What a job. <laughs> it's just, um, I, I couldn't do that job. It's hard. Um, but uh, so, so one of the stories he was telling about this, he said, our, our left brain takes things, it's, it, it, it files things in this, I understand this, this is how it works. And our right brain is adaptive. It's trying to figure out creative solutions, adaptive solutions, and, and uh, they did studies with musicians that were polished and you know, pro-level, and they, their left brain's firing, and the new guys, the new musicians, are having to use their right brain and be adaptive because they don't know how to do this complex piece of music. And that kind of thing happens with us all the time. He to told a great story about this, uh, it's called childbirth fever, fever and it's, it's a disease that had been around until the 1800s, like just all the time. In fact, it was written first about in of the epidemics in a Hippocratic, uh, you know, they, they wrote in 400 BC about diseases, and it's it's there, childbirth fever, and they thought that the 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 disease happened in the body of the woman all by herself, that it wasn't like introduced from the outside. They didn't understand. And in the 1800s, people were starting to do different kind of theories and stuff, but this guy, long name, uh, in Vienna, we'll just so say long name, and um, it's a, yeah, Dr. Long name, uh, was, had a theory that if, the, because the doctors are handling all kinds of cadavers and babies, and their hands are dirty and, and nasty, and yet, the, and, and then they're going and examining women that are getting ready to have a baby. And so his theory was that the doctors were actually introducing the fever contaminants to the woman when doing that. So he, he, he had them sanitize their hands in a, a solution that he'd come up with, and he wrote a paper about the results. And it was dramatic, dramatic improvement. But the existing hospital staff called this the meanderings of a sophomore. They, they said that they had actually changed the... Uh, the uh, ventilation system in the hospital, and that's what it was that it actually caused these numbers. The numbers weren't connected to his study at all. And the interesting thing here is that when we're, uh, when we're not willing to think about new possible solutions, we can actually resist clear data that's coming in for improvement, right? And so they didn't want their values, their authority challenged, their you know, th their position maybe challenged, and eventually it got through. People got to where they could, and they've, they know what that, and how to, that, what that is, and how to deal with it. But 
but uh, adaptive change creates resistance. Let me just leave it like that. When, when we're being creative, there's part of us that, that is pushing back against that creativity. And of course, that works in all different kinds of systems. So that's the brain level, the thinking and emotion level. The second piece is the theological level, which I talked about last week in talking about Galatians and Romans and that just what would things look like 500 years later after the Reformation if we had primarily seen that it wasn't just justification by faith and a right relationship with God, but it was also justification by faith, a right relationship with God, and a right relationship with each other. That if this horizontal piece of relating well together and being one church, one flock, one shepherd, one table, one people, accepting one another, even in our differences, that that's what Romans is about in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, the wall is down, Philippians, Colossians, you, you get the point. I mean, it's, it's, it's all over. And so at the theological level saying, what would, hap- what would have happened? Where would we be at? And why can't we think that way right now? Okay, so it didn't happen. Let's don't, we're not going to just quit and go sit in a corner. What would happen if we had adaptive thinking about being the one church one flock, one shepherd, you know, and again, it's not dog Martin Luther, but he, he didn't see that. And so he, he literally ended up writing some pretty harsh things about the Jews. And then Nietzsche picked the, those, those writings up from Martin Luther. And then Hitler picked up the writings from Nietzsche, picked up from Martin Luther about the Jews. I mean, it's catastrophic, you know, what happened when now, okay, instead of just why is Jamie, is he upset? I'm not upset. I'm, I feel really pastoral today. But, but we need to, how do we think, how, how do we think adaptively about where we're at? So um, if you think that's making you quiet, let's go to another one, um, <laughs> to the political level. Um, so at the political level, just everybody, just take a, take a big old deep breath and we have to realize when we're talking politics, for us in the church, we, we have a dual citizenship. We are citizens of heaven, and we are citizens of the United States. Some of you guys actually in here may have a dual citizenship with two passports. But the idea is that we have a, a dual citizenship. And so for us in the church, our primary politics are, are from Jesus, we are an expression. We are a colony of heaven. That's, that's how we are to live. So to say Jesus is Lord, not only is that a three-word core statement of what the gospel is, but to say Jesus is Lord is a political statement. To say Jesus is Lord is to say Caesar is not. And our brothers and sisters down through the centuries have always died, have died over and over, have been martyrs for what I'm talking about right now. And this is, by the way, not a new statement. You may be new around Antioch or Christ Fellowship, but it's not a new statement. We've been talking, the gospel of the kingdom is a gospel that's proclaimed about the reign of King Jesus. That's why it makes sense when he says, he started preaching the kingdom and he says, repent and believe the kingdom is here. The kingdom is at hand. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a message about the reign of King Jesus. And so our first allegiance and loyalty is to King 
Jesus. Now, you know, that, that doesn't mean that we don't function as citizens of the United States, but if you want to be a good citizen, be a good disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's really the, that's, that's really the overarching key. And so our politics are going to always look like loving God. Our politics are always going to look like loving one another and loving those who don't know Jesus. And then you say, well, what about them, whoever the them is? And if they're enemies, then that's somebody that we're supposed to love. Love your enemies. I mean, if we took the Sermon on the Mount or just uh, these are kind of our marching orders. This is how we live this out. And so it's really a, a big deal. Centering life in, in, in this political way of thinking that where Jesus is Lord and he's, he's our Lord together. We're his people together. A multi-ethnic, worldwide people together under the headship of Jesus Christ. Um, so, you know, I, I, I know there's, uh, you know, some people, uh, just hypothetically, uh, you know, say sometimes, well, Jamie, you seem like you're apolitical. It's, it's, not, it's not apolitical. It's just, it's just my first allegiance is to Jesus. And I'm very clear about it. And but I still vote. We still vote. We participate in our, in our government and things like that. We're citizens here of the U.S. And, and here's the cool thing is there are things, there are pieces of the kingdom of God that really do overlap with a Republican or a Democratic agenda. And where there's overlap, we can affirm and extend those things. And where they're off, we subvert those things. We, we, don't, do, we don't do those things. But you can't expect this to be this. It will, it will never, ever be the kingdom of God. Now, and again, just uh, that, that's not new, but just in this time where, you know, you, you turn on the news, it's like, oh my, wow, that, that's intense. I'll say more about that in just a minute. That'll keep everybody paying attention. But um, so it's, this stuff can be kind of tense sometimes, just right? Amen. That, so it helps to tell old stories. So I'm going to tell a, an old story that will help, help us, and, and it's not hard to make connections from the old story. So back in 1998, 99, there was this thing called Y2K. <laughs> Y2K. It's a, yeah, we survived. Y'all survived. So um, got college students in here. It was a big deal, man. I mean, everybody thought like the computers are going to all shut down worldwide. We're going to power grids going off, you know. And so in the church, um, it, it, there, there were, we had uh, people that were, that were uh, sort of buying up beans and rice and water and storing huge amounts of beans and rice in the garage, leaving their cars no longer in the garage, but beans and rice and water. And then we had, other, we had another faction that were no beans and rice people. So like right down the middle, it's Romans 14 in our church, the beans and rice and no beans and rice. And the wild thing was the beans and rice people actually, they, they struggled looking down on like, you're not being good stewards and you're not going to be able to be a neighbor when all the food is gone, you know, and you're not storing it, but we'll, we're going to help you. We'll serve you. We're going to love you. Maybe. <laughs> and then, and then the no beans and rice people were like, you guys are bonkers, man. It's like, it's going to be okay. Woo, you know? And so for real, this really happened. So New Year's Eve, the year 2000, 
and we are uh, at a bunch of friends get together from the church, and it is split right down the middle, beans and rice, no beans and rice, and we were had the hats and blowing the things and just having a great time being together, laughing. New Year's Eve's coming, you know, the, the, the thing's going to drop. But it got a little more serious as we kind of started closing in because there's a lot of thought and conversation about all this. And so five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> and the lights stayed on. <laughs> the computers... The computer still worked, man. I mean, and, and we all hugged each other. We loved each other. And we, we moved on. We ate some beans and rice for a little while. <laughs> Over at the, we had some funny meals afterwards. But here's the deal. We, no matter where we're at, on some of these different issues are really a big deal. But they're Romans 14 for the most part. With it, when it comes to brothers and sisters, we've got, we've got people in different places on COVID and different places on different issues and, uh, you know, all these different things. And so we want to cultivate our primary story and narrative being one that flows from the heart of King Jesus, who is the good shepherd to us. I am the good shepherd and we know his voice. Jesus is the good shepherd. That's the main thing. That's what I'm just trying to say over and over again. I'm taking 30 minutes to unpack that one phrase that really got dropped in my spirit on Tuesday. So it's just, we're, we're, that's what we're unpacking here. Jesus is the good shepherd and we know his voice. That's the main thing. And he will lead us through this time as we follow him. Okay. So can we just say that first part of that together? Jesus is the good shepherd and we know his voice. Amen. So I'm, I'm thinking about John 10 and the other day, and I'm just thinking, okay, the context, I just, it was like, Ooh, that's, that's pretty interesting. The context of John 10 of course, is the few chapters before that. And Jesus in John 7 goes into, the, goes into the temple. And I mean, talk about some of the most intense, uh, you know, just co- conflicts. It was a time of tension and anxiety as Jesus clashed with the Pharisees and his own disciples thinking, we are going to die. Like, we're all going to get killed. These guys want to kill him, and they want to kill us. It was tense. At the end of John 8, Jesus, at the end of a powerful moment, cut the air with a knife before Abraham was born. I am. Like, straight up, Yahweh, Old Testament, I'm God. And they picked up stones to stone him, but he walked through their midst. John 9, interesting timing of John 9. Jesus walking out of there. And he heals a man who's born blind from birth. And it's this powerful metaphor of people being blind. I mean, really. And and, and also of of spiritual blindness. The Pharisees. The Pharisees are like, no, Jesus didn't do that. You weren't born blind. No, Jesus didn't do that. Uh, He healed you on the Sabbath. No, Jesus didn't do that. We know he's a sinner. No, Jesus didn't know that. Um, He's not from the right place. All of that stuff's going on, and the problem there is the what we think we know problem. You've got a worldview, you've got a paradigm, you've got water you're swimming in, and you don't know the water you're swimming in, and so, no, he couldn't be the Messiah. He couldn't be the Christ. Tell us plainly. And so, they are dogging on the the blind guy who's been healed, And he says to them, never since the world began, in verse 32 of chapter 9, 
has it been heard or has anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind? You know, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they're like, ah, you were born entirely in sins and you're trying to teach us. And they drove him out. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they'd driven him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me that so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. The one who's speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Yet another one of those places where I'm always like, you know, whether it's Thomas or and they, the disciples before the ascension in Matthew 28, and they worshiped him. And he's not, he's not saying, don't worship me. He's receiving worship like God would. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, and so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard him, and they said to him, surely we're not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. And so what's going on here, the context of Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd, is tension, anxiety, it's conflict, it's spiritual blindness. It's a need for people to see and to see him. And then in this context, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the gate, verse 9 of chapter 10. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, down to verse 14. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. And so there will be one flock, one shepherd, and so the point here, as we're just kind of unpacking the context, is what Jesus is doing. Like, you know, we've looked at the letters, we've seen that, yes, theologically, this is what God's doing. He's making us to be one people together, but this was always Jesus' heart. One flock, one shepherd, we're the sheep of his pasture, and we know his voice. We respond to him. And in the midst of anxiety, which was what was going on, in the midst of spiritual blindness, which was what was going on, we listen to Jesus, who's the good shepherd. In the midst of our tensions and anxieties, when we're tempted to think we already know the answer, pull back from that. Just and say, Jesus, you're the good shepherd. What are you saying? Instead of, I already know this. Because it's the, I already know this, that caused them to miss the Son of God right in the flesh in front of them. It's huge. So when we're tempted to think we can see without Jesus, pull back from that. Get and engage the right side of the brain. Engage the that 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 inner part of us that listens to someone like Jesus, the Holy Spirit, who is outside of the current conflict and can speak into it in a way that brings peace. And when we're just uh, you know, and we're doing the whole sheep thing, we listen to the voice of the shepherd. That's, that's what he's calling us to do. We know his voice. And, and you know, so I just, I'll say a word about listening to the voice of God because we can all hear. We'll all know his voice. It's what the prophecy from Jeremiah, that we're all going to know the voice of God. He's going to write his word on our hearts. We're all from the least to the greatest. And everybody can hear. And so one of my favorites 
uh, Bible studies from all times was from the, a Baptist guy who uh, my dad and the Lord, Don Finto, oh, he's kind of famous charismatic guy. And, um, but it's interesting that Don would always say the best thing I've ever read on hearing the voice of God is from a Baptist guy <laughs> and uh, ex- the experiencing God. Uh, anybody ever heard of that little Bible study? Um, so uh, it's, it's still worth, it's, it's great. And one of the things he says is that we hear God by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to us and that gets enlivened as we read the Word of God. So we immerse ourselves in Scripture. God is speaking to us by His Spirit. We immerse ourselves in Scripture. We pray. There's something really powerful about just getting still and, and pushing out the, the noise and being still and waiting on the Lord. Lord, speak. Your servant's listening. And just getting in a listening posture with Scripture saturating our minds, um, our circumstances. Sometimes our circumstances will be key indicators that get us Get us off dead center. Get us praying more. Get us out of our ruts. And the Lord uses uh, circumstances sometimes to get us, don't just keep walking the same way you've been walking. Come on, come follow me. Come come this way. And and even the church itself, God speaks to us. There's There's a more full revelation in the church together as brothers and sisters. You ever been in a life group somebody saying something wonky? (laughs) I think Jesus came from Pluto. (laughs) You know, it's just not bearing witness. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and so like there's 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 help together. He's head over all things for the church, which is his body. The fullness, the fullness is together. The fullness is in the church. And and so we need that. Uh, together. Let's, let's, uh, so there's a process of listening to God, and ultimately it leads to obedience that allows us to experience more of God together. So flash the experiencing God diagram up, if you would. And uh, so some of you guys may have seen this. God desires a relationship with us, and He brings an invitation. He's always inviting us to this relationship. He's speaking, and He's encouraging us, but when God speaks, it leads to a crisis of belief. We have to go, Am I going to do this or not? Uh, that seems risky. Or, uh, I don't want to do that. Or, uh, that's, that's outside of my comfort zone. And so we have to adjust our lives in order to participate with God. But as we do that, as we adjust our lives, it leads to the, the obeying Him and experiencing more of Him. And the way that works is, some, uh, somebody was asking at the end of first service, I, I, I think I might have already said this, but just how do I learn to do that? And there is, for all of us, what I call a window of opportunity. So we're walking through life. We're walking through life, and God is speaking something. He says, says something to us. And, you know, if we just haven't been really seeking the Lord, a lot of times we'll walk right through those little windows and just, you know, just kind of move on, and we miss it. But if we're being sensitive and we're responding to the Lord and we've been saying, Lord, that's what I want to do. I want to abide in you. I want to respond to you. I want to obey you. And, and we, we say yes. And we do that thing and it blesses somebody. And it really, we, we go, okay, wow, I think that was God. So then what happens is the next time we're walking through there, that window of opportunity gets a little bigger. And, and we respond again. And it gets a little bigger. And we respond again. It gets a little bigger. And it gets harder to miss God. You almost have to go, you almost have to go, no, no, not this time. I don't know. No. But then it, but then it gets smaller again. 
You know? So, yeah, mercy. And so, but, but it's, it's real. This, this is a real process. And we need this word right now. We need the word, I'm the good shepherd, my sheep know my voice. We need to be responding to this word. Because if you turn the TV on, and I did this just as an experiment this past week, and, um, and I turned it to news channel A. <laughs> and, and listened. And like, those guys over there are idiots. Like they're just, they're, they're just and they're sarcastic and th- those are idiots and they're just, how could anybody, and they're right, but they're absolutely insane. Then I turned it to a news channel we'll call B. Is this working for everybody? Everybody, we understand what we're saying. <laughs> and they're like, those guys are idiots. They're absolutely insane. There's no way a sane rational human being could think that way you know and they're doing it with sarcasm and things just can you believe and just talking pick it pick it they're both doing it and so what what do we need we need help we need the help of jesus to meet us as these competing narrative and you know there may be some stuff from time to time that both of them are saying that are good but we need jesus to help us figure those things out right you know, and it's, it's not this is God and this is not. And it's not this is God and this is not. The, the system can never be the kingdom. Again, not new thoughts there, but just, again, trying to, trying to help us. We need the Good Shepherd to lead us and to learn how to navigate those things with love so that we don't just take that storyline and take it out into public and, and speak it over somebody with the same kind of venom it was spoken over in on the TV thing. Somebody say amen. Maybe. Got a maybe amen. And uh, so, you know, the, the way I'm thinking about this is I feel a little bit, th- there is a fatherly dynamic in this and sharing this word this way because the father is saying to us, he's saying to all of us, this is my son whom I love. And, and with him, I'm well pleased. And listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. That's on Father's Day. What a great word. Listen to my son, whom I love. Listen to him. The whole baptism and transfiguration experience. And this is about all of us. I'm, I'm landing. This is about all of us, but it's also about each of us. It, it's about the whole church, but it's about each one of us because you know, Jesus is the good shepherd and he's speaking and we want to take that seriously. We want to take that seriously in our spheres of influence. And I'm, I may not be addressing, you know, the, the president, but I can address the spheres where I do have a say so. Where I've got a, there, there's some spheres of influence. Starts with myself, <laughs> you know, responding to the Lord myself. It starts with Kim. It starts with you know, maybe less now with, with, with Aaron and Emily because they're, they're their own family. But, I mean, if I really felt like Lord had a word for me, I think they would, they would at least pay attention or something. You know? <laughs> um, and, uh, but where we do have a say-so in our life group, in the church, and then, then taking that loving, right spirit under the good shepherd of Jesus out into our spheres of influence in the world. And we do this just practically. We're saying, Jesus, what are you saying to me? 
What, what are you saying to me? What are, what are my next steps in my relationships? Uh, you know, and I think even just, even in the church, uh, Lord, I know this, this group of people over here is hurting. Then, then respond to Jesus about that. How do you help them? How do you bring encouragement to a part that's, that's hurting? You know, uh, Michael Stones is a police officer. You know, the, the police, if, there, if you know there's hurting going on, then, then reach out to that part. If you know there's another part of the body over here that's hurting because of something else, then reach out to them and, and love them. Express, give, give expressions of love to them. You know, how, Lord, how do I recalibrate to you and to what you're saying as the shepherd? And I'm, I'm thinking through Jesus leading the Bible circumstances, the church, the Holy Spirit, prayer, and I'm balancing that and, and, and using that as even a point of reference for listening to news, for watching social media, you know, drinking, drinking in social media. And I want to, it's not even just what's right and wrong, it's the spirit of it. How do we walk through this in the, the right spirit? Um, so uh, it's interesting, the ladies' Bible study, I mentioned it last week, but even Kim was again this week. She goes, Jimmy, I can't believe you're preaching on that. That's what we're doing in the ladies' Bible study with this, um, the, the lady who's teaching just a call back to Scripture and to truth when we're walking through times where there's spiritual attacks going on. And I'll just I'll finish with this and we'll pray. But just whatever you're going through right now, how are you experiencing anxiety as a sheep? But how are you experiencing anxiety and how does Jesus want to speak into that in a way that brings breakthrough? I mean, this is, this is, it's how we live the life out. It's how we do a devotion, a life of devotion to the Lord that gets worked out in a public way, you know, is, is responding to Jesus. So he's a good shepherd and we know his voice. Let's pray. Father, just ask that you would uh, meet us here in a practical way. Jesus, we proclaim that you are the good shepherd, the shepherd, the lover of our souls, and that we need your voice helping us out of different ruts that we're in, helping us out of different anxieties that we're in, helping us to be able to think in ways that are beyond the, the, the current, uh, whatever the thing would be, reaction, 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 and into a response mode to your voice, to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would help us, help us to do that, help us to respond just in a, just like concentric circles of outward influence. Lord, start with us in our thinking, in our hearts, in our lives, with our closest relationships, families, roommates, spreading out. Lord, and even we would ask in the church and in the church around the world, would you do that? And Lord, first in the church, help people to love each other. Help us to love our brothers and sisters in the worldwide multi-ethnic church of God. In the name of Jesus, and Lord, help us to do that in our city and to love well, to be your people, one flock, one shepherd, who hear just your people who hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's go do it. May you walk in his grace, peace, life, love. He's changing the world right through us. Just, so may he do that, be kingdom people, and let's respond to the, the voice of the shepherd. Amen.